0: Welcome to the show, and today, you asked for it and you're going to get it. I'm responding to everything genetically modified skeptic has to say about atheism. Okay. So, I'm not actually probably responding to everything that he says about atheism, but I had several people send me messages and say, hey, you need to respond to this genetically modified skeptic. I'd never heard of the guy. And so I took a look, and yeah, he's a pretty influential YouTuber. And so I decided it's worth my time to take a look at this. It sounds like that some of my followers think that. Uh, He's got a lot to say. Apparently, I mean, since I deal with the theistic arguments and the resurrection case, uh, you know, the actual evidence that a classical apologist wants to look at when we're giving reason to believe that God exists. Uh, Surely he's got a lot of material on that. I mean, he's probably gone through the evidence and offered some good uh, responses from an atheist perspective, and so we can deal with those in detail. I have narrowed the discussion uh, or this subject of this video to one playlist on Genetically Modified Skeptics Channel, and that is the one titled Atheism. So in that playlist, he has 17 videos. Um, Of those 17 videos, I'm going to say something about 17 of them, all of them. Uh, Now I'm going to dwell mostly on one or two videos because, might as well say this from the jump, I I like this guy a lot. I say that in most of the videos that I do, but I really do, I mean, I poured into this channel and really watched everything and I didn't watch it all at double speed. I actually watched and took uh, copious notes as you can see on this uh, channel and particularly on this playlist. And in doing so, I began to really kind of relate to this guy. I got to really like him. I uh, found some things in his story that were similar to things in my story, believe it or not. And so I found him to be a really likable guy. I think if I were uh, lived where he lived, I, I think I could be friends with this guy. I don't know if he'd think he could be friends with me, but I, I think so. I mean, he seemed like the kind of guy that I hang out with. And so I really am sympathetic to particularly some of the stories that he told about family and friends and community. And so in that regard, I, I, really, um, I really became invested in, um, in his uh, position as I went through this. However, uh, as I looked through this list, uh, I realized a couple of things pretty quickly. Um, despite what some people probably thought when they sent me to his channel, I don't think his intention With this channel is probably what i thought it was i don't know that the intention of this particular atheist youtuber is to really deal with the theistic arguments the evidence-based things that christians will provide because that's not really a lot of what he deals with in this he deals with more and i don't mean this in a pejorative way he deals with indirectly the things that uh, have to do with worldview as it relates to religious people and non-religious people. And so, um, because of that, you don't find too much on this channel. Now, if there's somewhere else on the channel, I I tried to look at all the playlists and I thought this was the one that, that deserved the attention the most. Um, I don't find much on this channel in in terms of dealing with the actual evidence that Christians will give or religious people will give for believing what we believe. I I didn't see much treatment of that, which means if you're interested in the truth claims of these uh, different religions or of Christianity specifically, since that's what I hold to, um, I, I don't think this is the channel to come to to find a debunking of the truth claims of this religion or a dealing with that. Maybe you wanna go somewhere like Rationality Rules or Cosmic Skeptic, we're gonna see them today, at least one of them. Uh, So uh, I I don't, and and again, I don't think that was his goal for the channel. I really don't think, I think his uh, goal, as best I understand it, is to help other atheists to come out of the closet, so to speak, and be open about their atheism. It's to talk a little bit about the interaction, uh, culturally, politically, and those sorts of things between religious and non-religious people. Because again, 17 videos. And as you'll see, I think we got one treatment of what could maybe be a theistic argument and not from genetically modified skeptic. We got it from somebody else on his channel. So uh, for those of you that think, man, this guy is really the guy that is making uh, an impact, I don't doubt That he is making an impact. I don't doubt that people are moving, uh, that that he's impacting people who are on the fence toward atheism. But what I wanna do throughout this video, and I hope you'll see, is I wanna point out that sometimes people move off of their positions or have paradigm shifts in their worldview, not because of the best reasons. He talks about a lot of really important things, but the question is uh, do those things have to do with the truth of the position that we're dealing with? So, 17 videos. And only once did we kind of deal with a theistic argument, a reason to believe that Christianity is true or that God exists. Not one issue that dealt with, not one video that dealt with the resurrection of Jesus, unless I'm missing something. I could have been missing something, but I watched every video in this atheist playlist and we're going to go through every bit of it right now. But we're gonna spend most of our time on two videos. And the first one of those is the video that is called How Alternative Medicine Pushed Me to Atheism. And so we're gonna take a look at that now and allow him to speak for himself. I'll make comments as I go along and sip on coffee.
1: I was raised Christian fundamentalist. I was taught to interpret the Bible literally. That meant accepting younger creationism, a worldwide flood, homosexuality being an abomination, the end times being near and the like. I believed all of it until I was several semesters into college. In my sophomore year, 2013, a member of my family, let's call him V, began selling essential oils. I didn't know much about essential oils, so I had nothing against it. I was actually pretty supportive of them for about a year. As my college career went on, I began learning things that contradicted my beliefs. I took an astronomy class that educated me on how we know the universe is ancient and how it seems to have come into being. That information was presented very clearly and by a Christian professor, so I didn't fight it. I did some of my own research and found that all reputable sources agreed with the evidence that I had been presented for an ancient universe. So, at that point, I no longer believed in the young earth, but still remained a fundamentalist in every other way. Now, you might expect me to say that I made some kind of rationalization that allowed me to accept an old universe but still believe in creationism. But that's not at all what I did. I chose to push any thoughts of doubt I had out of my head any time they arose. I decided to rely on faith rather than confront any challenges to my beliefs. By summer of 2015, Vita...
0: Okay, we're going to stop right there. And I want to point out a couple of things. First of all, you should be already seeing that one of the things that's important to this guy's story and one of the parallels that he wants to draw is that between essential oils and uh, his Christianity, what he calls fundamentalist Christianity. Now, um, I, I, I I can't speak to the efficacy of essential oils. I don't know anything about that. Um, So I'm just going to take his word for it that the science isn't with it, I guess. Uh, But what's important here is he's drawing a parallel between uh, his kind of just uh, acceptance of the truth of essential oils, uh, because someone close to him said that it was true, and his own embrace of Christianity and where he stands on that. Now, he said, He said a couple of things uh, about so far. He said that he kind of just took all this to be true until he had a uh, class on astronomy. And that showed him how we know the Earth is ancient, by which he means it's an old Earth, like, you know, five or four or five to 20 billion years uh i think four or five billion years old is supposed to be the earth and then uh 16 to 20 billion years old is the universe Uh, we're talking about an old earth here you're aware that there are some christians who are young earthers some christians who are old earthers and some christians who are i don't know earthers and uh he's saying that he had been a young earther and he got into this class and he saw there was really good evidence that it's an old earth in fact it was a christian professor that taught this class And all the reputable sources seem to agree on this old universe, but he remained a fundamentalist but pushed doubt out of his head, relying on uh, faith. Now, I want to say a couple of things about this. First of all, this apparently is what really shook him. And the last video in this entire playlist, where he brings in R and Ra to help him with some of this and look at evolution specifically, he makes a big deal out of the age of the earth. It comes up uh, several times throughout this playlist. And so I began to realize the degree to which I, I think, and I don't try to psychologize people, but it seems like from what he's telling me, this was a major moment for him. This was a really big deal that the he found out that what Genesis one says doesn't seem to match up with science now he says he pushed doubt out of the way at this point he just he just pushed the doubt aside and uh, just embraced faith. And we hear a little bit more about faith throughout this journey through genetic modified, Genetically Modified Skeptics playlist. So I want to share something with you that I share in debate sometimes, and that is an actual biblical definition of faith. A lot of people work off of the colloquial understanding of faith, which is believing without evidence, or it's what you do when you don't have evidence to serve as a reason for belief. However, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse one is the passage that most people point to when they want to make this point. And here is, I think, a better translation than most of what you get from most people. Faith, quote, faith is the assurance of. Uh, Things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, this comes in a chapter replete with examples of people who are exercising faith in the face of incredible evidence, the likes of which most Christians will never experience. People who had incredible supernatural experiences that were undeniable from their perspective, and yet they're exercising faith. So if faith means believing without evidence, which is what seems to be assumed in this video and in many uh, atheist videos, It doesn't seem to match the biblical definition of faith. And if you think I've cherry-picked a verse, I have. I cherry-picked the very verse that most people go to who are atheists to make the point that faith is uh, believing based on nothing because they think this verse is the most hospitable to that position. In fact, the word that is translated faith in the New Testament is pistis, And pistis is the conviction of the truth of anything, uh, it's belief, and in the New Testament of a conviction or belief respecting men's relationship to God and divine things, generally with the included idea of trust and holy fervor born of faith and joining with it. Uh, so you've got this word mentioned 227 times in the New Testament, and I could tell you how many times it's mentioned in each book if anyone wanted to know. So uh, if you think, well yeah, fine, but I still think the early church position was that uh, it's believing based on nothing or faith is just where you stick what you stick with when you don't have good reasons to believe. Theophilus of Antioch in his letter to Autolycus book 1, chapter 8, said this. I want you to consider it. Do you not know that faith is the leading principle in all matters? For what husbandman can reap unless he first trusts, you see the parallel there between faith and trust, his seed to the earth? Or who can cross the sea unless he first entrusts himself to the boat and the pilot? And what sick person can be healed unless first he trusts himself to the care of the physician? And what art of knowledge can anyone learn unless he first applies and entrusts himself to the teacher? If then the husbandman trusts the earth and the sailor the boat and the sick the physician, will you not place confidence confidence in god even when you hold so many pledges at his hand here is good evidence that uh christianity has always held that faith is trust or confidence based on something the sailor doesn't trust that the boat is going to get him where he needs to go without ever having stepped on a boat before. The uh, person who's going to grow something doesn't trust that something's going to grow because even though he's never seen anything grow before. Uh, and, and to bring it more to our perspective, you don't trust that when you sit down in that chair that it's going to hold your weight because you've never seen, even though you've never seen a chair hold people before. No, uh, the, the, the gardener knows that he's seen this happen many times before. He has good reason to have faith that it's going to work this time to trust. Uh, the sailor has good reason to trust the boat's going to be able to carry him where it needs to go because he's seen boats like this function before. And we sit down in chairs trusting that they're going to hold us because it's happened almost every time we've ever sat in a chair. And when it hasn't, it's been a big anomaly. So I hope to impress upon you that um, when I, I understand, I don't deny that many Christians use faith in the same sense that atheists would like to pin us with. But faith in the biblical sense, and this is not a "no true Scotsman" fallacy, as if to say these—I just disagree with these Christians, so you should go with my understanding of the Bible. No, I hope I've just shown you that the biblical definition and the historic Christian definition of faith is trust or confidence in something based on uh, good that can be based on good evidence. So, um, but he says he pushed doubt aside and just exercised faith. I don't think he exercised the biblical understanding of faith, not because I know his story better than he does. Of course, I don't. But because what he's describing as faith, I don't think is what the Bible means when it says faith. Um, Now, he says that he just um, he just pushed doubt aside. Now, I don't blame him for this, because I think that it could have been the case that he grew up in a church background where they did not encourage the assessment of doubt or the actual probing of your doubts. I've run into people before who say, if you've ever had real serious doubt, you're not really a Christian. Well, I deny that partly out of self-preservation because that would mean that I'm not a Christian. I've experienced doubt before in my life. I've experienced doubt Uh, Not only about whether Christianity is true, but also whether uh, I'm really saved, you know, whether I'm really, uh, even if Christianity is true, am I really a Christian? I think every Christian has experienced some kind of doubt or other. What I would have encouraged genetically modified skeptics to do is to not uh, just push that doubt away, but to embrace that doubt and to probe it, to actually be intellectually open to finding out what's the source of that doubt. And if Christianity turns out to be true, then continue in your Christianity. If, if the doubt is there for a, a real good reason, because Christianity is false, well then let's figure that out too. But let's actually look at the doubt. Um, I think Gary Habermas says that he used to have a page on his website and uh, he put on there, he called it the Hall of Faith. He put on that, that website, everyone who had never had any doubt at all in their Christian life. And he made a big deal out of always saying that page is blank because everyone experiences doubt. And atheists and skeptics also experience doubt. I mean, I even when you come out of the worldview type stuff, I have doubts sometimes about whether or not my wife really loves me. Not a lot. I have been married for almost 18 years. And so in that time, I've had those kind of doubts before at times. Uh, but you know what? My doubting whether she loves me or not uh, doesn't necessarily mean she doesn't love me. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong in my marriage. That doubt is maybe a good thing because it engenders some conversations and a quest for knowledge. But I've spent so much time on that. I probably need to move on. But what I would have encouraged him to do is to analyze that doubt. And for anyone out there who may be experiencing doubt, let's analyze it together right now. Doubts can come in a couple of forms. Sometimes we doubt things for intellectual reasons, which seems to be the sort of doubt that genetically modified skeptic is claiming to have in his life. And I don't doubt him. Uh, The other kind is emotional doubt and uh, they're very different. Emotional doubt is when you don't really have a real good reason to doubt something, but because of the stakes that are involved, you, you do doubt. So uh, let's, let's take, for example, Mike Lycona's analogy. Mike Lycona, I've heard him say in uh, public speaking engagements that, let's imagine you have a piece of subflooring, which is you know, a good wide piece of board, and you placed it across two platforms that are, that are separated by a six inch drop. It's just a six inch drop. And can you walk across that very wide piece of subflooring? Yeah, you could walk. I mean, you could dance across that thing. Is there really any good reason to doubt that you could walk across it? No, not really. I mean, and, and really, why would we ever worry about doubting it anyway? Because if we fell off that piece of subflooring, it's six inches. We're going to be fine. You know, the most that might be hurt is our ego a little bit. But now take that same piece of subflooring and put it between two skyscrapers. Now, do you have doubt? <laughs> well, yeah, I, prob- I probably do have doubt. But what's changed? The width and the strength of the subflooring is the same. You should be able to dance across it just as you did before. Why aren't you now? Is it because of any intellectual reason that you have more of a reason that you're going to fall off than you did before? No, it's the same chances that you're going to fall off, all things being equal. But uh, what's changed is the stakes. There's so much at stake. And so, for that reason, we doubt. But that's an emotional doubt. An intellectual doubt is when there really is something about the reasons to believe that is bothering you, that causes you to question. If genetically modified skeptic had been in a church where I was going, I would have encouraged him to embrace the doubt and let's consider whether this is emotional or whether this is. Um, Intellectual. And if it's emotional, we can recognize that and move forward without much of a problem because we would recognize that that happens in every area of life. Uh, even marriage. But if it was an intellectual reason, then what we could do is we could look for the right apologetic material or or look for a good compilation that is uh, Christians dealing with atheists or look at some debates where Christians are talking with atheists and, and see what the evidence is. And I'm convinced because of, I believe that uh, Christianity is a very solid worldview and uh, defensible to say the least, that I think that he, uh, if he was being fair, with the evidence would have remained uh, a Christian, or, or well could have, uh, would have had a good chance. But instead he did what I would think, I think he probably suspects, someone like me would say you should do, when I think it's the worst of all things to do, which is to ignore the doubt. We don't ignore the doubt. Uh, doubt can be a good thing. Doubt can lead to a stronger faith. Again, remember, with a good be- biblical definition of faith, a stronger reason to trust um, the truth of the Christian message. So he did not. he, he just pushed that away and uh, we've got a poor definition of faith that, that he's relying on, I suspect, based on other videos. And now let's go on to see what happens next. So remember, so far, all that's happened is he's got a problem with the old earth, young earth perspective. So even though the Bible, according to him, clearly seems to teach the young earth perspective, he just, he just has to just buck, buck up and uh, you know, bite the bullet and, and just remain a Christian, even in spite of this incredible evidence that something's going wrong here. And let's see what happens next.
1: V decided to dedicate himself to teaching others about, and consequently selling, essential oils. They taught classes about them, which I frequently attended. After a few classes, I had questions about the evidence behind all the claims I'd been hearing. Those questions were met with unsatisfactory answers. From that point, V's claims became more and more outlandish. They said oils could cure cancer, and that the government was covering that up. They said prescription medicines could be replaced by herbs, and that the human mind could control the makeup of an essential oil on the quantum level.
2: Shift in consciousness uh, creates
1: a shift in biology. I had some serious doubts about those claims, so I asked V for evidence once again, and was met with nonsensical replies. Knowing the truth about the topic was important to me. I didn't want to be ignorant of a government conspiracy, but I also didn't want to be duped by any snake oil salesman. So I decided to research on my own.
0: By the way, I want to say something here. Um, Occasionally, I'll see this thing floated out there that people who are non-religious have a higher IQ than religious people. Now, understand, uh, we could subcategorize all kinds of different people based on all kinds of things. And we would see that there are variations, a few points on IQ, and um, uh, but here's the thing: there are people who are in a people group who typically have lower IQs. Uh, there are individuals within that group who have a higher IQ than most of the individuals in the higher IQ group, you understand. So uh, this is actually always a dangerous thing to to uh, try to criticize a position based on is the IQ uh, issue. However, um, one of the things that I've, I've, I've thought about this is if it is the case, and I don't know that it's the case, I'm skeptical of these kind of things. Um, but if, if it is the case that non-religious, or yeah, non-religious people have a higher IQ in general than religious people, there are several reasons why that may be the case. One reason why that may be the case is that uh, uh, people with higher IQs are more likely to get into higher education at liberal arts schools where they're going to be confronted with, um, you know, maybe some philosophy professors and some biology professors and people like that uh, who are... Um, non-religious and and giving them reasons to be. It may be that they begin to affiliate with people in that setting where there's a lot of wild stuff that often goes on and some motivation to reject religious belief. There's a lot going on here that you need to parse out and correlation is not always causation. But one thing we find among high IQ people is typically they don't like to be duped. They get really upset because they they pride themselves on being smart. They, they, they I'm not saying this is genetically modified skeptic. I'm just playing off something he did just say. He didn't want to be duped. One of the issues he had with this uh, essential oil stuff is he didn't want to be duped. And um, that's something that people with high IQ, I'm sure he has a high IQ. And um, so I I don't want I don't want anybody pulling the wool over my eyes. I'm I'm, I see that kind of stuff coming, man. I'm not like that. And so that can put you in a position where you're a little more skeptical than you should be uh, about certain things. So anyway, uh, let's move on. So we're seeing the dichotomy now between the essential oils and the uh, Christianity, the truth claims. Of these two positions.
1: My own. In college, I studied research methods for several semesters, so I knew how to recognize and read peer reviewed material. That's where I turned to first. Quickly, I discovered that V's claims not only lacked evidence, but had been thoroughly debunked for decades. Frustrated, I confronted V with this information. Their response was vitriolic, and I realized that my skepticism was being taken personally. I asked V, Why do you cling to an ideology that lacks sufficient evidence? Why do you turn a blind eye to what is most reasonable? I've seen it personally, and it's important to me, they said. Instantly, I was convicted. I was guilty of the exact same irrationality. Why was I so readily skeptical of alternative medicine, but not Christianity? Because my faith was important to me.
0: Okay, now I want you to notice something here. Um, He says that he looked into the evidence and the essential oils thing was bunk. Now, again, I don't know anything about that. If you sell essential oils or you believe in essential oils, maybe it's true. I I haven't looked into that. Maybe it's false. I don't know. But notice notice what's been said here. Are we talking about really um, uh, an evaluation of the theistic arguments, the resurrection? As I have repeatedly said in debates, in podcasts, and in one-on-one conversations— all that is ultimately necessary for Christianity to be true is that God exists and God raised Jesus from the dead. That's it. If those two things are true, Christianity is true, period, no matter what you want to say about anything else. So if you want to show that Christianity is false, you need to show that God does not exist. Or uh, and, and you say, well, that's proving a negative. No, people can try to show that God does not exist. All you've got to do is show something incoherent within God's nature so defined. Um, you could try to show that God doesn't exist or that Jesus uh, God did not raise Jesus from the dead. And I've given in other videos ways that you could do that. Christianity is falsifiable. It just doesn't turn out to be false. So um, so, 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 are we going to hear anything about any of that? What we hear in, instead is sh- this person that he calls V has said, he says, why do you believe this in spite of the fact that there's all this evidence to the contrary? And she says, she or he says, well, I just, because it's, I've seen it work. I've got personal experience with it. And, and it's important to me. Okay. Now he says, then that's what happened with me with Christianity. I, I had, I thought that I had this personal experience with it and it was important to me. Uh, so then I, I was really like, and, and this led to basically the tumbling away from Christianity. We're going to see more of the story in just a moment, but here's the thing I want you to notice about this. What's wrong with saying that one of the reasons you believe something is because you had a personal experience of it and you, and it's important to you. Um, you know, I think that there are many people today that believe evolution is true because they believe they've personally had an experience uh, with the evidence that is true. People believe that Donald Trump is currently the president of the United States of America because they have personal experience that is true. And for some people, it's meaningful to them. Uh, you know, there are people that, uh, that, that believe uh, in any number of things because they have some personal experience. You say, well, yeah, but there's gotta be more than that. Okay, fine. But all we've heard so far is she had a personal experience uh, and, uh, but the evidence didn't back up, you know, and, and verify her personal experience. Okay, you had a personal experience of some sort with Christianity, but now the next question comes, in both cases, we've got a little piece of evidence. Someone claims to have had a personal experience. That's a piece of evidence. You're right. There needs to be more evidence to back that up, to, to verify what they're saying, because their personal experience doesn't count as evidence for you, necessarily, if you, uh, you need to see some evidence for yourself but it's something it's something okay they're saying there's something to this i've been a christian all my life so maybe there's i feel like i have some reason to believe this so now let's look at the evidence that's where this should go um does it go there kind of let's move on
1: a silent depression filled the next several months of my life i knew my faith deserved a challenge but i was afraid to open a door i'd never be able to close regardless questions that i had pushed aside in the past crept into my awareness they bombarded me constantly and eventually were all i could think about For my own sanity, I had to confront them. The foundation of my faith crumbled as soon as I earnestly sought the truth, regardless of the conclusion.
0: Okay, now he says that that he had all these questions that need to be challenged. Now he doesn't tell us anything. And and frankly, look, genetically modified skeptic, if you ever see this, I, I don't blame you for that. It's a five minute and nine second testimonial video. I don't expect you to give all these great, you know, debunkings or whatever in this video. In the playlist, I mean, yeah, kind of. And I'll get to why in just a second. Uh, Because I've already said I understand that this is not the sort of channel I think you have, but uh, I think the way you set things up, we should expect that. And I don't think we got it, but we'll talk about that in just a moment. But notice that he said as soon as he opened the door to letting these questions be challenged, um, he suddenly everything began to crumble, his worldview crumbled or whatever. As soon as like I, I get it, but this is a issue that should take some time, like you should be able to look through some things uh, look at, look at, you know, take some time, man, go through, and maybe he did this. I'm just I'm just giving you, again, I don't claim to read people's minds. I'm only giving you what I see from a video like this. It sounds like as soon as he opened the door, boom, I mean, it all just fell apart. Well, there is a great history of Christian thought. There are some powerful arguments that some of which to really get to the bottom of, you may need to spend years really studying these things and 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 now at this point maybe you have but at first i i I don't know but we don't get anything about that here we don't get any specifics again i don't blame him for that but but we don't get any of it yet
1: i was faithless the idea of living without faith was so foreign to me that i didn't even know what to call myself someone who didn't claim to know if god existed but didn't have a reason to believe what do you call that i sought out ways to define what i believed soon i stumbled across the term agnostic atheist that was me At the time of this video, it's been a little over a year since I took the Atheist label. At first, it was hard.
0: Okay, at this point, he's going to go into talking about how becoming an atheist was, you know, what that journey was like. Um, So you can go watch the video if you want to. But what I want you to notice here is we have seen, this is it, because we don't see any breakdown of the evidence except for the older, younger thing. And again, I want to say about that, you do understand, like, there are really rigorous academic uh, Christian people who do not hold to a six to 10,000 year old earth. Some do, some don't. Uh, we will get more into that at the end of this video, but uh, at the end of my video that I'm making here. So I don't wanna to say too much about that now, but that's the only real thing that we got. And he even seemed to realize early on that that shouldn't be a deal breaker. So what we got, the setup for this playlist that we got, this is the first video on the playlist. Here's what we basically, here's what I'm feeling communicated to me, is essential oils were bunk, And even though I had just believed it because someone gave me personal testimony that they thought it was veridical or whatever. And Christianity, I thought I had just personal evidence for the truth of it. But but um, this one turned out to be false. And now I I think this one is false now. And the, the thing that's the same is in both cases, people said they had personal experience that it was true. Okay, that's not enough to leave a worldview. And I don't think that's all there is to it. But here's what I want you to really hone in on. Uh, What we're talking about with essential oils is whether the claims are true or not, right? We're not talking about anything else, whether this is actually true, whether they are, uh, you know, efficient to do what they say they can do. So that means that if we're drawing a parallel between essential oils and Christianity, we want to know, is Christianity true? Are the central claims of the Christian message true? That's what we want to know. And since you're setting up this channel this way, you're setting it up with an eye toward what is true, not what's good for America, not whether we like the implications of it for people that have particular lifestyles, um, not what does it mean about me if I'm an atheist, or you? If, or how are we different morally? None of that is what we're talking about. What we're talking about is are the claims of essential oil true, and are the claims of Christianity true? So, what we should expect in the rest of this playlist is uh, a parsing out of the truth claims, the central truth claims of Christianity. Does God exist, and uh, did Jesus rise from the dead? And maybe is Scripture true, or you know these kind of things. Is that what we get? it is not. Uh, but let's continue moving now. And I'm going to show you, we're, we're going to go through the rest of these much more quickly. I said this, I'm not even going to play most of the videos. I'm going to play one more video um, and not an enti- in its entirety like this, uh, because there's not much that needs to be said about most of these. Now, again, th- this would be good stuff for some other apologists to deal with, this stuff that's going to come up, some of this stuff. But Uh, a lot of it for what I do and why I was recommended to go to this channel. It's just, I I don't see it there. So, all right. Um, let's take a look at the next video. The next video is religion useful. Now in this video, basically what, uh, you know, Christians, this is kind of my paraphrasing of what he's saying. Christians often say that religion motivates moral living and some other things, but moral living can be found outside of religion. Um, now This is an important thing I want you to notice if you watch a bunch of this guy's videos, um, and that is that you'll hear him use the word monopoly a lot. And what he wants to say, and I like that he's fair like this, is that he'll say, I'm not saying that X, whatever good thing that is often attributed to religion, whether that's moral living or pioneering science or whatever it is, I'm not saying that, that there's not some truth there, that Christianity has done or can do some of those things. I'm just saying that Christianity doesn't have a monopoly on that, or religion doesn't have a monopoly on that. You can have and do those things from a non-religious perspective. He says this about just in the list I saw, and just when I happened to pick it up listening, uh, Christians don't have a monopoly on morality, science, hope, and there may have been some other things. Now, what I want to point out is this video is about morality, and he brings in Cosmic Skeptic to talk a little bit about this. Um, and so I want you to I want you to listen to Cosmic Skeptic and uh, let's talk about what he says. By the way, this is the other the only place in this playlist where I saw any real obvious dealing with a theistic argument or something like that. And, and it wasn't genetically modified skeptic, which I appreciate. I appreciate that he's kind of like what I'm picking up is this is not really my thing. Uh, maybe it is. Maybe I'm reading that wrong. And if so, I'm sorry. Uh, But I'm going to bring in Cosmic Skeptic. He can deal with this theistic argument type stuff. So let's take a look at Cosmic Skeptic.
1: Allow me to hand things over to none other than Cosmic Skeptic, as I think he could tackle this much more adeptly than I.
2: Thanks, Drew. I want to continue the discussion by looking at what is perhaps the most pervasive group of utilitarian arguments in favor of religious belief, and that is the moral family of arguments. The assertion is in effect for numerous and specific reasons that religion is useful and perhaps essential to both a functioning society and functioning individual due to the moral basis it offers and the moral code it promotes when you hear that religious values must be recognized and implemented in the upbringing of children their education and the fabric of the nation in which they live you're hearing this argument now there are
0: now i want to be fair about this first of all um, yeah I, i i don't care so much uh for what i'm doing here about this particular it's an important question um, when you have a religious society Or a Christian society Versus a secular society uh, Which one functions better Which one is more moral You know that, That's an interesting thing I, There are uh, debates about that I'd recommend to you Matt Dillahunty, my former debating partner uh, Versus um, Michael Jones Inspiring philosophy I thought they had a great debate on that question there, that, that is an important thing I, I, uh, I, There's another guy out there What's his name? Uh, I don't know. There's another guy out there doing debates like that too. That's important because those issues matter, uh, how society is affected. But, uh, what I'm wanting to focus on and is, you know, is not what he's talking about right now. What he's talking about right now is the question of, Hey, um, is it the case that we should kind of in a utilitarian way, keep religion around kind of a Benjamin Franklin type, you know, whether it's true or not, keep it around because it ends up being good for society. Um, I'm not interested in addressing that. It's more the other part of what um, Cosmic Skeptic says that we're getting to, I think, here in just a second.
2: Two principal forms that these moral arguments most prominently take as I see it. I'm going to tackle each individually here. First, that religion and God are the basis of morality without which morality can't exist. And second, that religion provides essential values that we couldn't do without. So let's crack in. So firstly, the argument for religion as a basis for morality. This simply no longer holds this way it used to. This is likely due to the increase in religious pluralism and the overall decline of religious belief in total, whilst morality is just as pertinent a social issue as it ever was. The argument claims that an objective moral basis must exist for morality to make any sense, and that this basis must be some higher being in order to have the authority required to be this basis. With that in mind, there are two ways that you can dispute this form of moral argument. The first way is to suggest that the objective basis for morality is not a god, but rather something else, and something a little less supernatural. The obvious contemporary choice of scholar here is Dr. Sam Harris and his book The Moral Landscape, which proposes that well-being is a more appropriate basis for morality. It's a compelling argument and I've discussed it at length on my own channel before but it's not the only argument against religion as an objective moral basis. The second contention you can have is that there is in fact no objective basis for morality at all and that all morality is entirely subjective. Now naturally this opens a Pandora's box of problems such as moral relativism and the idea of cultural imperialism that is you can't say that female genital mutilation is bad that's just your culture your belief you have to respect ours and it may seem as though if we view morality as subjective that this is a fair statement but it's not because even if we think morality is ultimately subjective we can still recognize that all all cultures subjectively do base their morality in well-being and then the rest of Harris's philosophy becomes practically irrefutable but I'm not going to focus on that partly because I've discussed it before but also because even if moral relativism was the natural conclusion of subjective morality it wouldn't necessarily be any worse or really any different than religious morality let me explain. Remember, there are thousands of gods and thousands of schools of theology. Even if 10 people believe in an objective religious morality, they may still all have completely different ideas about what is objectively moral according to each his own god. Furthermore, you may have noticed that any person's god always seems to agree with the person's own moral opinions to an extent that almost resembles the suspicious. To quote Bertrand Russell, people don't have an ethic based upon their theology, they have a theology based upon their ethic. I'll further explain this with a simple thought experiment. If you're religious, then answer me this question and do so honestly. If your god explicitly...
0: Okay, so what I want you to notice here is, uh, so he's laid out a couple of possibilities. He kind of recognizes that this moral argument that Christians want to bring, and the one that's on everyone's minds, the one that is most commonly used is William Lane Craig's moral argument, which says, if God does not exist, then objective moral values and duties do not exist. Um, Duties being things that you should or shouldn't do, and values being value-based claims. So if God does not exist, then objective moral values and duties do not exist. Uh, Objective moral values and duties do exist. Therefore, God exists. Um, What what we want to say here, and and I've said this in my video response to Jacqueline Glenn. So if you want to get it with more nuance, go there. But basically, he understands, uh, everybody kind of understands that in the ultimate sense, you've got you've got two sorts of things. You've got objective things and subjective things. Objective things are like matters of opinion. 2 plus 2 equals 4 is objectively true, um, and what we mean by that is, I'm sorry, uh, did I say opinion? Objective things are matters of fact. Subjective things are matters of opinion. Uh, so 2 plus 2 equals 4 is objectively true, and that means if everyone on planet Earth or 99% of everybody on Earth um, believed that 2 plus 2 equals 7, they'd just all be wrong, and 2 plus 2 is still equal 4. Equal 4. Um, because it's a matter of fact. Subjective things are more like matters of opinion. So are bald-headed, bearded men the most attractive kinds of men? Well, I wish that was a fact, but it's subjective. It's a matter of opinion. And fortunately, it's the opinion of my wife, but it's still subjective and not an objective fact. Now, the question is, uh, say, we always test these things at the fringes, and that's why we always hear this same example. Um, Torturing a child, torturing a baby just for the fun of it. Okay, because you like to hear their screams or something. Is that um, is that wrong? Well, most of us would say, yeah. Is it uh, a matter of opinion or is it a matter of fact that it's wrong? Most people kind of intuitively want to say, no, that's a matter of fact that it's wrong. And what they're saying is it's objectively wrong. The problem is without God, you don't get that. There is no other grounding for objectivity. There just isn't. Um, it becomes a matter of opinion. So what, uh, So because we all know that it's wrong, to, it's objectively wrong to torture children just for the fun of it, then God exists. Because uh, if God does not exist, then you don't get those objective claims because you don't have a grounding for that objectivity. And there's a lot more that can be said about that. There are challenges to it, and I've covered those in other videos. But what Cosmic Skeptic brings to this is he says, all right, we got two options here. On the one hand, maybe Sam Harris, something like what Sam Harris says is right, and we could say that there is an objective grounding uh, for morality such that it's a fact, but it's not found in God. What it's found in is, our, is well-being. What's objectively good are those things that are good for human well-being, or maybe well-being for animals and whatever else you want to add into that, but well-being is the grounding for uh, things being uh, objectively good or bad. Um, the problem with that is that that still wouldn't get you to objective morality. A cosmic skeptic seems to recognize this, uh, unless I'm misunderstanding him. I think he understands that, that that's flawed thinking. And the reason for that is because groups of people, uh, agreeing on something, even if it's the group of the entirety of the people that live on planet earth, uh, that's still just opinion-based. It may be the opinion of everyone or a large group of people, but it's still subjective. To give you an example why subjective things are not just personal individual things. So uh, my favorite flavor of ice cream, uh, what, what I think is the best flavor of ice cream, that's subjective, but groups of people as well. So I live in Evansville, Indiana, and to date, the buying and selling selling of marijuana for recreational purposes is uh, is considered wrong by the people and government of Evansville, Indiana. Uh, that is to say it's illegal, but that's the opinion of this group of people. But if I get on a plane and go to somewhere like say Denver, Colorado, guess what? That local government or group of people or whatever is that the buying and selling of marijuana, if I understand things correctly is, uh, is not wrong and is legal. So, uh, you still see that it's subjective. It's a matter of opinion. Just now a group of people instead of, um, uh, one person. Uh, So what about what if the whole world agreed or 99.99% of the world agreed that something was right or wrong? And so we could build out this morality from that. That still wouldn't get you to matter of fact, objective morality. And the reason for that is think about it this way. Take something that we know to be objectively true, like two plus two equals four. Could you ever make that a matter of opinion just by adding more people to it? Uh, so, well, if 100,000 more people thought that two plus two equals seven, would it now equal seven? Well, what about, you know, uh, 10 million more people? Would then it would it equal seven? No. Well, what if uh, 8 billion people all agreed that two plus two equals seven? Wouldn't that now mean it's seven? No, they'd just all be wrong. They would have the wrong opinion of that, and it would still the fact would still remain that two plus two equals four. So you see that that this uh, escaping that this is subjective. Morality is subjective. Even if everyone agrees that well-being is the best basis for morality, um, that that still doesn't make it objective. So that fails. I think uh, Cosmic Skeptic understands that. So it sounds like he opts for the second idea, which is, well, uh, we could still decide subjectively that well-being is going to be the grounding for our morality. And it never would mean really that torturing children for fun would really be a, uh, wrong as a matter of fact, objectively. But within the subjectively chosen framework of well-being, now it can serve as uh, we can, we can call that objective. This is kind of like Matt Dillahunty's, and I don't know if he came up with it, but his example of a chess board where um, we subjectively decided on the rules of chess and constructed this game of chess. But then within the game of chess, there are objectively good and objectively bad moves. Um, So it doesn't matter so much if in the ultimate sense, uh, something is right or wrong. All that matters is that within this structure that we've created, we call things right or wrong. But don't you understand this is to miss the point. The very question is whether in any ultimate sense, something is right or wrong. Uh, Because what you are saying then is we will all consider it wrong if you torture a child for the fun of it. But it's still not really wrong. That's just a matter of opinion that it's wrong. That I submit to you, any thinking person would have to reject because in order to argue to me that that claim that torturing a child for fun is wrong objectively, in order to convince me that I'm wrong about that and that it really is a matter of opinion, even in the ultimate sense, you would have to present to me an argument with premises that were more plausible than my immediate experience and knowledge, and I suggest to you yours too, despite how clinical you want to try to be about this, my own experience that that is wrong in an objective sense. So um, so this doesn't get you there. This is still leaves you with a subjective morality. You don't have an objective morality, and the only way you're ever going to get an objective morality is if you have a God to ground it in. Well-being will not get you there. There will always be people who don't care about well-being. We would have to say about such a person that if they killed a thousand people, tortured them and killed them and raped them and all these kind of things, and then killed themselves because they don't even care about their own well-being, that they didn't do anything wrong they just did what they like to do. And we kind of feel like it's wrong. But, you know, we realize that in the ultimate sense, that's just a matter of opinion. I submit to you, this is nonsense. And so it doesn't escape the issue that he's trying to escape, which is, can we have a grounding for morality outside of God? We can't. So uh, that takes care of that video. Don't worry, I'm not going to spend as long on each uh, consecutive video. But that is the only dealing with anything like a theistic argument in this entire playlist, so far as I can tell. So is religion useful? Uh, What you lose by being religious. Now, actually, that's the next video in the playlist. And Dr. Pritchett and I are going to devote an episode of Trinity Radio to that that we're going to do together. So I won't say too much about it. But as I made notes on this issue, he asks in this video, he's kind of looking at Pascal's Wager. I don't use Pascal's Wager, but Pascal's Wager is the, um, let me get it back on genetically modified skeptic, at least, so that we at least have him uh, in the shot, uh, even though we're not going to play much more video. So um, Pascal's wager is kind of a cost-benefit analysis, and it's often misunderstood and misdescribed. However, I'm going to give it to you in the way that I think it's most often understood by people, and that is that if you are trying to decide between uh, Christianity, let's say, and atheism, it's better to err on the side of caution. And if Christianity turns out to be true and you're an atheist, well, then you're going to have hell to pay. Literally, you're going to have hell to pay, whereas if atheism is true and you're a Christian, you haven't lost anything. Um, or at least you haven't lost near as much as if it's the other way around, right? So you should, on just on the basis of, of the uh, danger factor, you should be a Christian. Now, I don't think that's a fair representation necessarily of Pascal's wager, and the way I use Pascal's wager is to show you that it's worth your time to investigate more deeply which religion or if there's a religion that happens to be true. Uh, I think there are some problems with Pascal's wager, but we're not here to talk specifically about that. What genetically modified skeptic wants to do in this video is to show that it doesn't work. And the reason that Pascal's wager doesn't work is because y- there's actually, you're actually losing something to uh, reject. If you reject a- it's not just like if you're an atheist and Christianity happens to be true, you've lost something, basically all of eternity and hell, you're gonna have to face all of that. But if, 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 but if you reject atheism, for christianity and christianity turns out to be false you've lost a bunch there too and he lists out what he thinks you've lost and this is great because what i want you to recognize is what we what we have to be doing in this cost uh benefit analysis here is on the one hand with pascal's wager we've got eternal conscious suffering if that's the case in hell on the other hand we have whatever benefits so avoiding hell is, is the benefit offered to you by Christianity? Now, as we know, there's a lot more benefit to Christianity that we would focus on, not just what it has to say about hell. But just going with, I think, what how we're rolling here. You've got the avoidance of hell on the one hand. And on the other hand, you have whatever benefits he's going to share with us that atheism provides. And we need to see, do the benefits that atheism is going to provide for you, actually outweigh the danger of hell if hell exists. So here they are, here's what he gives us. Um, You lose freedom of sexuality. If you become a Christian, and atheism turns out to be the case, you have lost the freedom of sexuality. You weren't able to express your sexuality the way that you wanted to necessarily. Um, Now, again, I'm not gonna comment too much on each one of these because we're gonna do a show on this list, But, uh, but think about that. Um, If you want to live out your sexuality in a way that is not biblically permissible, for example, with Christianity, um, and, and you don't get to do that if you become a Christian, is that worth giving up if it turns out that hell was the case? Now, again, one thing I also need to say is it's not like the things that he lists. If you like, it's not like a works-based salvation that's being pushed here where, uh, well, you know, if if you mess up sexually, then you're definitely going to hell. That's not what we're doing. We're looking at the benefits of remaining in atheism uh, in case Christianity isn't true. And then if Christianity is true, hell versus these benefits over here. So compare eternal conscious suffering in hell, if that's the case. Which there's in-house debates among christians about that but compare that to living you know getting sexual gratification in the way you want to do those things even compare i don't think so and i'm not trying to be you know flippant about this i realize that people's lives are heavily impacted by their sexuality i've done a lot of videos on that sort of thing i'm not i'm not trying to be flippant about that but i am trying to be factual about this if eternal conscious suffering is on the table. Yeah, that that's the cost benefit analysis there. Sexuality is not even on the table compared to that. Um, You lose the freedom to do what you want with your money. You don't want to pay 10 percent of your money to the church. Uh, Well, you know, then then remain an atheist. Is, is 10% of your money, does that even compare to eternal conscious suffering in hell? I don't think so. You miss out on the fear of hell. <laughs> We're taking it right on the, if, you, if you're an atheist, you get to miss out on that fear. You don't have to be afraid of hell anymore. Well, uh, okay, that that's fine. But not being afraid of hell versus hell maybe being true. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like, it's kind of like if you just decided not to believe in cancer, just think you wouldn't have to be afraid of cancer anymore. Well, okay. And then I might become a two pack a day smoker. But if if smoking really does lead to cancer, if cancer is a real thing, it was not worth it. Right. And that's what we're saying about this here. Um, you miss the freedom to plan life how you want to. So if you, if you choose atheism over Christianity, you get to be whatever you want. You just be whatever you want. Whereas Christians are going to say you need to consult God and God's going to share with you what you should be and what you should do. Um, is getting to pursue a career that you want to pursue that perhaps is biblically not permissible or that God doesn't lead you to, is that worth hell? I, I don't think so. You missed out on eating or drinking whatever you want. Dr. Pritchett was in here in a while and I don't, a while ago, and I don't want to steal his thunder, but he, he, he kind of smacked his belly and he was like, yeah, when you eat and drink, whatever you want, you look like this. <laughs> So uh, I'm not sure that's that's that might you might live a better life. I remember you did say that well-being, you guys did kind of couch well-being as the uh, as the basis for objective moral values uh, and duties. So on that framework, I'm not sure you get to eat and drink whatever you want anyway. So I'm not sure that counts in favor of you. But he highlights he's like, can you believe there's some people on Earth who've never tasted bacon and never tasted beverage alcohol? I mean, just let's take a moment of silence for that. I'm not mocking you. But honestly, would people be healthier? Would things be better if nobody had ever tasted alcohol or eaten bacon? I, trust me, I love me some bacon. I'm just saying, would we be a healthier planet? Yeah, probably would. So the well-being thing kind of works against you there. Um, you missed the chances to dress however you want. And he specifically says, you might wish to dress immodestly. But if you're not an atheist or if you are a religious person, you might not get to dress immodestly when you want to dress immodestly. Is, is dressing immodestly... I mean, seriously, is that worth comparing to eternal conscious suffering? I I mean, at this point, I I think he recognizes it gets a bit silly here. Um, You wasted time doing things like praying and going to church. And at the very least, he says, you get to sleep in on Sunday. And that's awesome. Again, we've got hell on the one hand in our cost benefit analysis and sleeping in on Sunday. Think about that. I mean, as Dr. Pritchett pointed out, Our church service doesn't start till 11 o'clock anyway. So how late in the day you want to sleep, man? Whenever you wake up, there's going to be a church service on Sunday, probably not too far from where you live. Um, So anyway, uh, but is that is sleeping in on Sunday worth worth hell? I, I can't see how you missed out on living a life free of judgment and particularly the judgment of God. I've been around a lot of secularist people, people who are not Christians. There's plenty of judgment among non-Christian. It's not like judgmentalism is exclusively a Christian thing. In fact, one of my favorite moments is there's a question in a debate one time that William Lane Craig was doing, and someone said, why should I go to church when all these Christians are so judgmental? All of them are so judgmental all the time. And William Lane Craig's response was, well, first of all, I don't know that that's true. And second, you sound pretty judgmental of these Christian folks, right? There's plenty of judgmentalism uh, outside the community of faith to to be sure you miss the opportunity if you're an atheist you you miss if you're not an atheist you miss the opportunity to live an intellectually honest life and explore things like science and philosophy and all these sorts of things well tell that to all the christian people who are scientists and philosophers and uh, people like me who love that kind of stuff tell us that why do we have to miss why do we have to miss out on these things again i think this i'm not trying to psychologize him but from what he's told me in this playlist it seems like this goes back to his six-day creationist upbringing and how Christianity has to be anti-science because of things like that. Not willing to open himself up to the possibility that Genesis chapter one is a difficult genre. And people have been saying that since... Uh, the early centuries of Christianity, and that is not at all a response to science. There are people that use it that way or adopt a different version so that they can feel better about the relationship between the biblical material and science. But people have been trying to figure out this genre of Genesis chapter one since the early centuries of Christianity when this scientific stuff wasn't even a problem. So um, I think that's a hangup that he's got, but I don't want to read you wrong. I mean, again, let me just re- stop for a moment and say, again, I I do this all the time, but I mean it, especially with this guy. I really like this guy. I really think I could be friends with this guy, and I think he's a really smart guy. But I'm just saying, this. besides, if I even granted that, that being a Christian meant you couldn't explore certain disciplines that you like, which I don't grant, does that compare to hell? I I don't think. I'm just going with the categories that he's laid out for us here. This is all stuff he said. Uh, You miss out on evidence-based mental health treatments. You miss out on evidence-based mental health treatment. So, if you're a Christian and you go to a Christian counselor, for example, you miss out on evidence-based. Is what I understand him to mean. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think that's what he means. I had to take a class on Christian counseling last year for as I'm working on my D men The book, I had to read the entirety of this, I forget what it's called the Christian Counselors Association of America their um, uh, their handbook and that it was like it was like that thick. I mean, it is a massive book. Some of you have had to read it. And when you read that thing, you realize these people are highly academic people, these Christian counselors and therapists and psychologists. And they go to all the same conferences that the secular guys do and other ones that are Christian-based. And they, they, they have to follow certain guidelines and everything. They're very much evidence-based. And besides, you're leaving out the whole discussion that happens among Christians that I'm not sure you're aware of, but maybe you are, between what is called biblical counseling and integrationist or Christian counseling and the interplay there about what kind of stuff can be used. And all that. there's a whole, yeah, I just, think this reveals a lack of awareness of the vastness of the discipline of Christian counseling and Christian therapy. It's much bigger. And if you're interested in becoming, uh, of of studying that field further, uh, we have programs for that at Trinity where you can come and study Christian counseling. I'd encourage you to do that because it's much bigger than I think we get the impression of here. But no, you do not miss out on evidence-based mental health treatments. If you are a Christian and not an atheist, you miss out. Uh, if you become religious, you miss out on um, doing good in the world just because you want to instead of just doing it because God's looking over your shoulder. I mean, like this, this is where, come on, man. I mean, this is just me and you talking here for a second. Just forget the rest of them. You grew up among Christians, right? Did you not find a lot of Christians to be really good people who really did want to help people just because? And don't tell me it was in spite of their Christianity. Because here's the thing. When you, Christians try to emulate the person of Jesus. Now, even if you're an atheist, you know, I think you said in one of your videos that you appreciate that Christianity emphasizes forgiveness, right? Okay, so follow me here. When we begin to emulate as Christians from a very young age, the person of Jesus. And I'm not sure, I don't know when you left Christianity, but maybe it takes some more years. I don't know. Maybe it takes really living the Jesus life, you know, later into your life. I don't know. Maybe not. But when you begin to emulate Jesus, you actually start to become like Jesus, right? Like it it, it changes the, 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 pathways in your brain a little bit. You start thinking along certain lines and sacrifice and forgiveness and love. These all become very meaningful. And I'm not saying, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that atheists don't have that. What I'm saying is Christians who are actively trying to emulate the person of Jesus Christ and be little Christ's Christians, as a result of that, many Christians, though many don't, I get that. But those who devote themselves to that as a way of life, really, to be like him, We get to the point where we do this not because we feel like we're supposed to. We do it because we have shaped our thinking around loving people and forgiving people and helping people and that sort of thing. And that's a powerful thing. And I think you know that. I think you know that from certain people in your life who have done that very thing. And that is worth considering. I think about Steve Gregg of The Narrow Path. I mean, that guy has been trying to be like Jesus for so many decades now that he actually starting to look like Jesus you know, I mean, look at—he's got long hair, and yeah, you know, just look at—he just—I I don't, you know, just go go check out Steve Greg; he's great. But this is just—I mean, come on, man. I, I don't. We're not just helping people because we feel like we have to. Uh, if we are, that's not a very mature Christianity. There are many Christians who are helping people because that's what they want to do. Y- if you become religious, uh, you miss out on being able to value all people equally. Now I think there's some stuff going on under the hood here that's not mentioned that has to do with maybe how the religious right responds to homosexual rights, maybe in the uh, you know 20th century and before how some religious people responded to um, other issues of human rights and race relations and things like that, um, and, and, and that that needs to be mentioned. I mean that that we need to deal with that. However, atheism doesn't. There's nothing about atheism that has anything to do with that. And honestly, uh, for those of us who find that many, many, many people, I think it's probably fair to say the vast majority of atheists and secularists seem to be in favor of the pro-choice movement. I realize you do not think that these, uh, fetuses in the womb represent persons. I, I get that. And that's a whole thing. But for those of us who do, uh we see that as a major human rights violation and it is a serious one into the millions and so maybe we just calm down about that a little bit as christians we are very concerned with human rights and religious people hope you didn't mind me getting a little bit straightforward and dark there for a second Uh, but we agree with you that we should call out the denial of human rights in, in in any place where truly human rights are being violated Um, and treat all people equally. Uh, yeah, we do. We do. In fact, our scriptures tell us that it's neither male nor female, slave nor free, uh, Jew nor Gentile, like our scriptures specifically have people lived in conflict to that. Yeah. I, I get it, but but you understand that's not a no true Scotsman's fallacy. No true Scotsman fallacy saying, uh, well, those people weren't really Christians. My brand of Christianity is the real. No, no, no. We're we're saying just just read the Bible. It's it's clear that we're not supposed to look at other New Testament Christianity for sure. Whatever you want to say about the Old Testament, and I'm happy to talk about that. But for sure, in New Testament Christianity, is we we are equal. But you know, it's a theme in the Old Testament too that we're all made in the image of God. So say whatever you want about that but there needs to be more work done there so that's that video the next video is is atheism hopeless um in this one we hear a little bit about atheism is not hopeless let's vary up the imagery here and give you another picture uh of genetically modified skeptic while we wait but um yeah so so he brings in rationality rules here and rationality rules uh talks about uh, can you have hope um in, within atheism because or can you have purpose? Am I? I may be getting the. Let's see. What is what is the what is the title of that one? Um, uh, let's see. Uh, rationality. Yeah. Is it hopeless? That's the name of the video. Is 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 it hopeless? Is atheism hopeless? And uh, in, in that is purposelessness and all that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to move through this one, but I want to say here that rationality rules is brought in to say that. Um, It's well, let's just get into it. You can have your own sense of purpose. We're told by genetically modified skeptic. You can have your own sense of purpose that you decide for yourself. Now, uh, this gets into some existential atheism and we could talk about Jean Paul Sartre and things like that, where you decide for yourself a purpose for yourself. uh, let me let me explain to you how the Christian views this first, uh, because it's a little bit shortchanged here. Purpose, we would say, is not something that one can ascribe to themselves. Purpose is assigned to something by its inventor or by its creator. So how do you know what a purpose of a hammer is? Well, whoever invented the hammer gets to decide the purpose of that hammer and it's made to put boards, uh, to nails into boards. That's the purpose of a hammer. The hammer can't decide for itself what its purpose will be in denial of the purpose of that uh, creator, that inventor. In the same way, you don't get to decide the purpose for yourself because you have an inventor, you have a creator, and creators assign purpose. Uh, If you assign a purpose to yourself, and there is no God, and there is no ultimate inventor or creator then any purpose is uh, somewhat arbitrary because it's just something you're assigning to yourself and uh, you know he makes he makes a point about how um, hope and purpose and meaning in life and all that uh, is there more it's there in a greater way with atheism because you have you know like things that are fleeting when you have fleeting time and the flower is beautiful now but it's going to die before long I'm not not all of these are things that he gives but I'm giving you ones I've heard before. Um, that makes it more beautiful because, you know, it's only there for a moment. Well, I don't know about that. A flower is beautiful, whether it's beauty is fleeting or not. Um, that flower is beautiful today. Whether that flower is going to be here a thousand years from now or dead in a week, that flower is still beautiful. He talks about how when you have infinite quantities of something, it's not as meaningful or whatever. Well, we don't have infinite quantities of grass. But we, we have, from our perspective, seemingly infinite. Like we, we I don't have any problem thinking that 10 years from now, I'll, I'll be able to go out and see lots of grass. It's going to probably be there throughout the rest of my life. There's plenty of grass. As I'm looking out my window now, I see across the Ohio River, I see a big grassy hill. There's all kinds of grass everywhere, green, just grass everywhere. Guess what? If I still look at a particular patch of grass, it's beautiful. When I went to Northern Ireland a couple of years ago, I remember thinking, I thought that in the movies, they boosted the color to make it more green than it was. No, no, no. You can't do it justice on film how green the grass in Northern Ireland is. It's no wonder that uh, C.S. Lewis took inspiration from that for Narnia, his fictional land of color and wonder. Uh, It was beautiful to me even though grass is going to be there for the rest of my life. And there's a seemingly, from my perspective, infinite amount of grass, still beautiful. So anyway, that whole issue about whether you can have hope and all that in the midst of atheism. Let's get to what uh, is being presumed in the midst of this, even by rationality rules. And that is the presumption that atheism is true to have this discussion. Rationality rules follows this up. And what he wants to say is, Some atheists, uh, he says, you know, the the religious people want to say you have to have divine purpose in order to have real purpose. But some atheists actually have divine purpose, like Buddhists, because they do believe in a divine purpose, even though they're technically atheists. And he's, but then he's, this is the movie makes, Christians don't have divine purpose either because we're just evolved primates. Now, this is me paraphrasing him. Now, understand he's saying having a divine purpose can't be what gives you purpose, Because you Christians don't have a divine purpose anywhere because it's fictional. This whole thing's just made up, right? It's all just made up. Uh, Hold on. This presumes the very thing under discussion, um, which is the truth value. Remember, we're talking about whether Christianity is the equivalent of an essential oil. Is Christianity an essential oil and fake? What's the truth value of it? That's supposed to be the purpose of this playlist. And what we're getting here in this video from genetically modified skeptic and rationality rules is, hey, we can have purpose too without divine stuff, and and in fact, you don't have it either because Christianity is just false and we're all just evolved primates, but you're just presuming all of that. You're just like presuppositional atheists here. You're not giving me the reasons to believe that that's true or reasons to deny my great theistic arguments and resurrection case. It's just being presumed. So did we get a dealing with the theistic arguments of the resurrection in this video? No, we did not. All right, the next video is Atheism Proud. I hope this is helpful to you guys. Is Atheism Proud? He wants to say in this video Atheism is humble because we don't believe that there's a God who cares about us, the universe doesn't care about us, and you guys believe there's this God looking down and interested in you. And so, which one of those is the more uh, humble position, is basically what I got from that video. Okay, fine. Uh, I think I've known a lot of really arrogant Christians and I've known a lot of arrogant atheists. And, uh, you know, whatever you want to say about that, the point is, I didn't get a treatment of evidence in that. Um, discussion is atheism open-minded? Is another video. Atheists would all—he wants to point out that atheists would all say they'll change their minds based on evidence. Well, what they'll say and what they'll actually do might be two different things. But I'm not going to be presumptuous about that. Maybe a lot of them would. Now, I am—I am wondering whether they're all that open-minded. Many of them to uh, looking at ways to intake knowledge and data aside from science, the natural sciences, and something that can be put into a beaker. I wonder whether they're really all that open to philosophical argumentation because I keep hearing from them that it's not It's not evidence unless unless if it comes from philosophy you know arguments are not evidence I keep hearing from them and it's almost like as I've said before the clergy in the lab coats if they don't give it to you then it's not real evidence and um, sorry getting a little snarky there but um, but hey big deal atheists are open minded great that doesn't tell me anything about whether Christianity is an essential oil or not um, an atheist guide to homosexuality I appreciate what he does here he points out that Many atheists are arguing wrongly against Christians because what they'll say is, look, man, uh, you guys eat shellfish and uh, have clothing of mixed fabric. So why are you putting down homosexuality? Because after all, uh, all of that is Old Testament stuff. And if you, why are you just pit cherry picking the ones you want to believe? And he says, no, man, you're misunderstanding the Christians here. Uh, they can be consistent in this because they believe in an old covenant and a new covenant. And even in the new covenant, we hear Paul talking about um, homosexual activity in a certain way. So I appreciate that he says that. Um, But uh, then he goes on to, to talk about, well, was it ever moral to have these laws about homosexuality in the old Testament? First of all, I want to point out that the laws about homosexuality in the old Testament, was it ever moral to do that? Well, he says that people will try to wiggle out of this. And he has, he brought cosmic skeptic back in for this one. Here's the thing about that. Um, th- I think he brought, maybe he didn't. No, I don't know if he did. Anyway, uh, what he wants to say about this is, look, man, uh, was it ever moral? Because if you're saying that it was ever moral to kill people for homosexual activity, well, here's the thing. In the Old Testament, what we have is, a lot of times we have examples of case law. Um, you need to ask yourself, like with adultery, Do we see examples of that? Or is this put there to show you the severity in Yahweh's mind of this particular law? That's not me trying to wiggle out of it. That's the nature of law codes. But here's the deal. Granting everything you want to say about this, does that speak to ultimately whether or not God exists and God raised Jesus from the dead? No, it does not. It's saying, uh, I don't like what the Bible says in a particular place. Okay, fine. Guess what? There are things in the Bible I don't like all the time. But it doesn't matter what I like. It matters what's true. Again, it's like saying, well, I don't like the cancer exists. Well, okay. why would you ever want to believe in cancer? I don't believe in cancer because I want to believe in cancer. I'd like to believe cancer doesn't exist, but that would be dangerous for me. I believe in cancer existing because I think there's good reason to believe it exists despite my personal feelings about it and what I feel in my heart. And when it comes to this issue, this is a very important issue, and I don't want to undermine or, uh, uh, again, I don't want to treat this lightly. We're talking about people's lives and, um, and all those sort of things. But whether you like what the Bible says about human sexuality is irrelevant to the question of whether or not God exists and God raised Jesus from the dead. So I appreciate that he points out a point of clarity, though, for people arguing against. Uh, Christianity that involves uh, discussing homosexuality. I think he did a good job there explaining the differences between Old and New Covenant Christianity. Uh, There is no such thing as true Christianity. He goes into a thing here about um, how uh, people will just say, well, you're interpreting this wrong or you're interpreting that wrong. Um, Again, I think this goes back to the whole young earth, older thing. But what he says is there is no true interpretation of the Bible because it's mostly fiction. Again, do we get arguments toward that? No, we just got an assertion this is again presuppositional atheism i hope you're seeing as we go through this that as nice as this guy is and as smart as i think this guy is and as much as he may have some good things to say on occasion we're not getting any good reason not to believe that christianity is true we're not getting any undermining of the theistic arguments of the resurrection case and this is the guy who many people told me you need to go through this guy's channel he's the guy throwing out all this evidence I'm just telling you, I'm getting, I'm getting stuff that's indirectly related to the truth claims of Christianity. But he set me up for this by saying, we're looking at essential oils and there's no truth there, or at least there's not, the central truth claims are probably not true. And now we're going to look at Christianity. And in this entire playlist, we're not talking about whether Christianity is true. We're talking about indirect things that have to do with how atheists view things versus how Christians view things and what's good for the nation and all this sort of thing. Uh, He even goes so far as to say, deciding, uh, this is me again paraphrasing, deciding which brand of Christianity you're going to affiliate with is like deciding on your Hogwarts, which Hogwarts house you're going to be in. Just presuming that that it's fiction and a little bit of mockery there, and that's okay. But uh, Ravenclaw, by the way, for me, uh, my daughter tells me I'm supposed to be in Ravenclaw. But yeah, that's a fictional world. We understand that's a fictional world. You're presupposing that Christianity is that way. And if you're not presupposing that, if you did come to that on the basis of evidence, you need to give me that evidence. Because all I've gotten so far, I'm so many videos deep into this playlist, and I've only gotten one thing, and that was from Cosmic Skeptic, who was brought in to talk about the moral argument um, in a video that largely wasn't about whether or not Christianity is true but was about whether you can have morality without God. So anyway, uh, so th- so there's no such thing as t- Now, the next video, how atheists teach their children. This outlines differences in parenting, but again, not truth. I actually think that's a helpful video for those of you who are uh, Christian parents and atheist parents to see what, how these people raise their children. I think there's some self-referentially incoherent stuff in there, like uh, kind of, hey, we're teaching you, to question everything, you know. There's a lady in that video that says, "When you say that, they're going to question everything. <laughs> they're going to question what you just said, right?" There's some tough stuff in there, you know. How do you dogmatically teach that you can't be dogmatic or whatever? I, I don't want to me that, and maybe I just did. I don't know. But anyway, in that video, we don't get anything about truth claims. We, we, we don't get anything about the theistic arguments, the resurrection case. Um, we only have a few left here. Uh, if atheists argue like theists, okay. Did a couple of videos here. If atheists argued like theists and if Christian if atheists argue like Christian apologists, these are clever videos. I think these videos are the ones that kind of made him famous. So, hey, you know what? Um, golf clap for you. Uh, those were creative videos. But again, as fun as they are kind of looking at apologists and theologians and parroting that from an atheist perspective, that's all fun and games and everything, but there still wasn't anything really of substance there. Uh, that's just kind of an exercise in mockery. It was fun mockery. It doesn't offend me. I don't even accept most of the methodologies presented by these other Christian apologists. There's two or three that I do, um, and maybe that would deserve a video of its own. But again, nothing really, nothing really of ultimate, uh, to, nothing really to engage the theistic arguments. I think he does kind of try to give a reverse of one of the more prominent ontological arguments, but but it wasn't, I don't think, and maybe I'm wrong, I don't think it was an attempt to really try to give a criticism of that approach, but just to kind of, look, we could say this too kind of thing. So um, so yeah, but they're fun. These are the ones I think that kind of put him on the map is what I've been told, but again, same as same as the rest. I'm an atheist activist in the closet. Now, this is more personal testimony type stuff, and I really this is one of the ones that made me really like him as a person because I kind of sympathized with his story. But again, nothing here uh, dealing with the the arguments and evidence. Awful objections to anti-theists. He goes through a list of objections people bring to anti-theists. Anti-theists being those people that, and I don't want to mischaracterize, but um, don't want there to be like they don't believe in God and they don't even like the idea of there being a God, something like that. Um, Christopher Hitchens called himself an anti-theist. Anti-theists aren't trying to force people to leave their faith is one thing he wants to emphasize. Anti-theists aren't against all religious practices all of the time. There are some good things in some of these religions like forgiveness and Christianity and stuff like that. Um, Okay, Uh, there's some other things he lists, but great. Some people have straw manned anti-theism. All right. I still don't see any good reason to be one. Um, So let's move on. An atheist's thoughts on Eastern religion. This is a video where he took a trip to Singapore and um, uh, shout out to you, Jeremy Lin, if you're watching from Singapore right now. Uh, he talks about some of these Eastern religions and uh, basically the, the video, I think one of the themes, and I, again, I'm, I'm trying real hard not to mischaracterize you, but I think the, one of the points that he wanted to drive home here was Westerners, and I think he means Western secularists, don't see the total picture Uh, which includes what we might call the dark underbelly within Eastern religions because they aren't familiar with them. So if you're like an atheist, secularist, Westerner, and you think, well, this looks like some enlightened stuff going on over there in some of these, you know, Hinduism and Buddhism and this kind of thing. He's like, look, man, uh, you don't, the grass may seem greener. I think he actually says that. But when you actually look at some of these things, they got their issues too. Uh, I hope that I'm characterizing that correctly. Okay, but again, no, no dealing with theistic arguments, no evidence. Uh, no dealing with the evidence, uh, coming out as an atheist. This was a panel discussion. There were two other guys on the stage with him. Now, I skipped around in this video. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to admit that. I did not in the rest of them, but I did in this one because he wasn't the only speaker. But if I got all of his parts, he again, no dealing with the theistic arguments, no dealing with the resurrection case, uh, the actual evidence for Christianity, um, but there was an interesting moment here and I don't like to talk about people's personal stuff too much, but he offered it here that when he came out to his parents as an atheist, uh, his dad actually started asking him some evidential stuff. Now he just kind of moves over that pretty quick, but he mentions that his dad asked him, uh, well, yeah, but how do we get here then? You know, how, how did, you know, and, and he did, he said, I explained it all to him, but he didn't really Tell us how he explained. I was on the edge of my th- seat, thinking, "Oh, we're about to find out. We're about to find out what what, what his reasons were. He's going to answer his dad's question. You know, how do we get here? You know, this kind of stuff. It never came. Um, his mom asked him the more emotional type stuff, but his dad wanted to know about the evidence. It sounded like, and and his dad maybe got some, but we didn't get it from genetically modified skeptic. All right. Uh, then he does a video based on some Jonathan Hyatt thinks uh, thinks new atheists are dogmatic. Is the video there? And he wants to point out in this video that we're not dogmatic. We don't think religious people are stupid. There's, uh, And he does a bit of a comparison between atheist, atheistic positions and religious positions on things. Okay, fine. Again, maybe you're not dogmatic, whatever. Uh, maybe you're not a religion as Ken Ham wants to define you or as this Jonathan Hyatt wants to say. But, uh, but again, I'm interested in are you going to deal with the truth claims? This whole playlist is set up that Christianity is like essential oils, and I I haven't been given any reason yet to believe that Christianity is like essential oils. I'm still waiting on what that will be. And I only have one video yet left, how to fit Christianity with science. This is the one that brings in Aaron Raw. And I don't even, you know, here's the thing. He talks about the old earth, young earth thing again in Genesis. This is a real theme. And he explains how different Christians will try to fit science within this. Yeah, I, I went over this in several videos so far. You've got a literary framework model, which which says uh, that this is formal versus material creation. Uh, that's John Walton, you know, got Michael Heiser, guys like that out there talking about stuff. You've also got the, the day age theory. You've got the gap theory. You've got... Um, Uh, you know, other literary framework models that will say things like that what Moses is doing here is taking the creation story that they had, that the children of Israel had learned in Egypt and supplanting the falsehood with the truth. So um, these things aren't gods. God made these things, you know, that, that sort of a thing. There are various ways to understand this. The impression that he gives is this is an attempt to try and fit science into Christianity where it just doesn't fit. The Bible is a collection of books. He always talks about whether you're taking the Bible literally or metaphorically. Th- this is so wrongheaded. I really want people I think he knows this. I think it has a lot to do with how he the Christianity he was brought up with. But if you're talking about should the Bible be taken literally or metaphorically, you're not talking about anything the Bible's talking about. The Bible is a collection of books. with a It's like pointing at a bookshelf that's got some fiction, some poetry, some historical material, some science material, and pointing at that book at that, that bookshelf and saying, "What genre of literature is that?" What What do you mean? There's a lot of genres. Uh, There's a lot of different genres. The Bible has narrative. uh, The Gospels are Greco-Roman biography. You have apocalyptic material. You have uh, poetry. You've got all kinds of genres of literature in the Bible. Should the Bible be taken literally? Yes, where it's meant to be taken literally. Should it be taken metaphorically or poetically? Yes, when it's meant to be taken that way. You can't say just should the Bible be taken literally or not. And when it comes to Genesis chapter one, how we're supposed to understand this material is difficult and has been, I understand there are young earth creationists, probably like the ones you were raised with, who will say it's not difficult. It's straightforward narrative history. And and it just means what it sounds like it means. There have been people throughout the Christian history. I said this already in this video, I'm driving it home. I want people to get this. Before this, try to fit science with, before all that stuff, there were people already saying that the Earth was much, much older than six, than six to ten thousand years from our perspective. There were already people saying that. There were people saying that it was the uh, age that it would be based on that reading. So, you know, it's just this is far too, far too surface level treatment of this. And if this is one of the things that began your exodus from Christianity. I want to see some videos where you really do dig deep and deal with these things, um, and, and I, I'm challenging you to do that. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not making fun of you. I'm not. I, I think you can do it. I think you can do it, and I want you to do it because I think when you do that, you're going to see that if you are open minded, like you your video on open minded atheist says, if you are open minded, I think you're going to see that this, there's more to this than what you're uh, what you're making out. Then he talks about evolution. Now, I don't embrace biological evolution. I Lack of belief in biological macroevolution. I remain unconvinced um, of it. Could I be convinced of it? Yeah, sure. If I if if evolution turned out to be true, I would not cease to be a Christian. I would I would just find out I was wrong about evolution. Okay. I have Christian friends who are theistic evolutionists. Now I realize for some of you this sounds crazy, but here's what I want Christians to understand: Christians can be wrong and still be Christians, right? Um, We all disagree on some issues of theology, uh, but it's not like atheists make it out where we disagree on like everything and there's no consistency in our understandings of the text. I'll tell you what all Christians everywhere who are truly Christians have understood, and that is that God exists and God raised Jesus from the dead. But we disagree on particular doctrinal issues. That's, That's fine. It doesn't mean you're lost. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It means we disagree. Now, for those who do believe in evolution, I'm not one of those. But he tries to he has Aaron Ra going into this whole thing about why evolution is true. And he gives he talks about how if evolution is true, then the Genesis stories are all false, particularly in one man, one woman created in a garden, implanted with souls, that whole thing. It's all false. Why? I think I responded to this with Jacqueline Glenn, too. Why? Why would that mean that it's false? He actually gives a way that it could be true, but then talks about how or describes it as though it's implausible that perhaps people evolved to a certain state and then God took two particular persons and implanted souls into them. And that's your Adam and Eve. Now, for me, yeah, I do think that's ridiculous. But there are people that hold that position. Is there anything contradictory about it? He acts like, yeah, but come on, man, that he would just be arbitrarily picking two people. He wouldn't be arbitrarily picking two people. If God does something, it's not arbitrary. He's got a reason for it, whether we know what those reasons are or not. So while I'm not, this is weird for me because I'm not at all a theistic evolutionist, but the way you're characterizing it, it I, I, I don't see it, man. Um, seems like someone who's a theistic evolutionist could still hold to a reading of Genesis 2 and 3 and following as, as real. I, you're going to have to tell me why. And then he makes some claims. And I love that this ends this way. He makes some claims. Remember, this is presuppositional atheism. He says, science explains the beginning of the universe and how life developed. And if all these things can happen naturally, why is God needed for our world to exist as it does? Well, if it's true, if it's true that science explains um, the beginning of the universe, it doesn't explain what the cause of the beginning of the universe, of, of Sagan's cosmos, all of nature is and cosmologists will uh, many of them will admit that so uh, and then it doesn't it makes exp- if you think it explains how life could evolve to this complex state it doesn't explain first life yet it doesn't explain abiogenesis. now he does admit that there may be still some things like that that we don't have answers to but then he makes a statement of faith in the sense that he wants to um, say christians hold not biblical faith but like just you know non-reasoned faith and this, this is an inductive claim that every time we had a lack of, you know, had a gap in our knowledge and we got the answer, there was a naturalistic explanation. That's what we call a naturalism of the gaps. Um, that is, we don't know yet, but I'm sure naturalism is going to figure it out. But here's the thing. When it comes to the beginning of the universe, as I've argued in almost every video until this one in this series of response videos, We don't just believe that God exists as the cause of the beginning of the universe because we don't have good reason to believe. We don't understand what the naturalistic explanation is. We believe that we have good reason to believe that it is an agent who is spaceless, timeless, non-material, sufficiently powerful, and has a mind. And you can look at any of my other videos in this series to get why I think that, or my debate with Matt Dillhunty or my debate with Daniel Alvarez, or my debate with Will the Atheist, or any other of those, and you'll, you'll understand why. Um, so we end, interestingly, he says that the essential oils, he realized that he had just been embracing that on faith, and embracing Christianity on faith, and he had to, he just pushed doubt aside and held fast to his faith, but ultimately he had to give up the faith, and look at the evidence, man, and, and then everything crumbled. I want to tell you something, in the end, what we find in this last video in the series is he's just embracing faith that naturalism is going to be able to answer all the questions of the future. And that's not even the faith that the Bible's talking about when it uses the word pistis. So I've come to the end of this and I know it's been a long video. Thank you for sticking with me. Listen, I do like this guy, but I want to make it clear that this is the guy that people sent. You got to respond to this guy. And he set up this playlist with a testimonial that placed essential oils next to Christianity. The truth claims of essential oils are false and the truth claims of Christianity. I came to disbelief. So I expect the playlist to be why those are false. And I only got one out of 17 videos. We've dealt with all 17. I got one. I got one dealing with a theistic argument, kind of. And for that, it was cosmic skeptic that was rolled in to deal with it. I have respect for this guy. His creativity Again, you seem like a really nice guy, but I would encourage you to deal with that evidence in future YouTube videos, and then I'll come back and we'll deal with it again. We'll go back and forth, and maybe, just maybe, if you are open-minded, as you say, maybe you'll see that there's something to these arguments, and I hope toward that. Uh, If you're out there and you're watching this, I want to encourage you to do something. Why don't you pray? He said that prayer was a waste of time. Uh, I think there's actually therapeutic benefits to prayer, even if you're a naturalist, but uh, you know what? I encourage atheists to pray to the God they do not believe in. That if he is real, that he'll reveal himself to them in some way. Whether that's some kind of direct thing or through scripture or through you know some, some way God to, uh, to communicate it. Some of you would say, well, I've already done that and it didn't happen. But well, do it again. Do it again. If you're open-minded, be open-minded. In- investigate the evidence anew. Read a book of scripture. Take the gospel of John and read through it with an open mind. Is that could this possibly be true? What is Jesus really like and what is he saying? Um, and if you find yourself recognizing that, yeah, I, I think there is good reason to believe that Christianity is not like essential oils. In fact, it sounds like maybe I'm being sold a bill of goods with atheism. Well, the Bible says that what you need to do is to exercise faith. Not the kind of faith that atheists often give you a picture of. But biblical faith, you need to trust this good evidence for the truth of Christianity. Turn to Jesus, that's repentance, to turn from a life without Jesus to a life with Jesus. And I think an appropriate thing to do is to tell him in prayer that you want to do that. And then get with a community of Christians and tell them that you did that. There are steps you need to take going forward. Because it's not snake oil. It's not a, I don't know if essential oils are real or not. It's not essential oils. It's the real deal. And I think you'll find that with an open mind.